0: Thank you so much for coming tonight. I am encouraged by the response, the sign-up for this class, that you take a Thursday night out of, I'm sure, a busy week already. I know for many of us to come here. This is a wise investment that you're making tonight, so I am encouraged by your presence. Also excited tonight. There's a much anticipation tonight as well. This course particular, Gospel at Work, A Theology of Vocation and Work, I think has really been brewing for some time. I think... I know Raphael, we've been discussing it for quite since your retirement from the Army, I believe. Really, just really mulling over some thoughts. And Raphael is a studious man. He's a man of the word. And really wanted to take a closer look for himself personally regarding vocation and calling. So that's where this started about some time back as he was making a vocational switch and change as well. Also, Dan and his... Really expertise in just study in the area of leadership and vocation as well. Wanted to combine these two men, these resources, these gifts to the church this evening that you could hear from them the next four weeks. So I'm excited. I'm here to learn as well. I really want to learn more, sharpen my thinking as it comes to theology of vocation and work with a biblical Godword perspective. So we come as learners tonight, and you're going to be served for the with the treat tonight with these two gentlemen. So Raphael, take it away, man. Thank you for your hard work.
1: Thank you very much, Corey. Um, again, I want to I reiterate what Corey said. Thank you for taking the time during a weeknight. Um, I'm sure most of you or many of you were at a, at a prayer, and I'm sure at least some of you, if not most of you, are fasting as well. So thank you for making the sacrifice. I'm sure all of you had some type of work to do today. And to be here tonight, again, uh, just thank you. And, and um, in a minute here we're going to pray that God would bless our efforts and that he would use this time to prosper his church. I'd be uh, more comfortable without the microphone, and I think I can be heard in the back, but uh, uh, the church is taping this class, so I have to talk into the microphone. Uh, So please uh, bear with me here as I fumble around and move it from hand to hand. But um, as Corey said, um, we've been uh, thinking about this topic, not really formulating a class, but Daniel and I have been thinking about this topic for almost a year. Uh, I retired, formally retired on the 1st of February. And uh, as I looked to leave the Army and begin something new, um, you know, the whole thing about what, what does God call a man to, what is a vocation, what is a calling, has been brewing around and we've been kicking it around. Um, I want to say that, you know, if um, if by God's providence or his sovereignty I had not been here tonight, I would have benefited tremendously just from, from – uh, the time Daniel and I have had together in preparing for this class, it's been it's been fantastic. The, uh, the your, your guys are going to get the tip of the iceberg tonight. Obviously, when you have to prepare for something, you get to dig into it. And, and even so, neither Daniel or I are theologians, so it's not a you know we were we were wrestling with issues that I'm sure uh, um, students of the word have been wrestling with for for hundreds and thousands of years. But to us, they were brand new, and we were we were trying to make our way through them. So bear with us um, I'm sure God will, will cover over whatever, uh, deficiencies we have as, as teachers and theologians, and, and we trust that, uh, he will, he will bless our efforts here tonight. Okay. Um, this is, uh, this is our vision for this class. What we hope in, uh, Many of you I know well, either from being in home group with or just having been in the same church for several years, but our desire would be that to some level this, this uh, class would, um, would cause you to look at your work in a new light. And I, I see a lot of the faces out there, and I'm humbled saying that. You know, I look at a Tim Kelso, at a Lenny Machen, at Corey. You know, just we have, we have some very godly people in our church who take the gospel of work on a daily basis. There's really... Um, very little we can we can teach on that but i do hope this stirs you uh, some at least some of the things we talk about here during the next 4 weeks to look at your work in a new light to look at it through new eyes and uh the best word picture i can paint for you is whenever you look at a major sporting event like a super bowl right before the super bowl starts there is a there is a time when the players are lined up in the tunnel and uh you can just tell there you know if you've ever played a sport their adrenaline is just pumping most of them can't stand still. They're hopping up and down. And then they're given the word to go, and they run um, through the tunnel, and they come out onto the field. And uh, it is it is at that moment that they – a team is going to lose and win that game, but at that moment there is a feeling that uh, they're, they're going to do something major for whatever for their team, for their university, for whatever they happen to be doing. My desire would be that – or our desire would be that the next time – You get ready to step in the office or step into the truck to go to a school or whatever happens to be the place where God has put you in terms of your work, that you would have that feeling. That you would say, this is my, today, this work I am doing is my offering to the Lord. Today is not just another day. As you get ready to get out of your car and step into wherever you're going, that you would say, what I am about to do has eternal implications and, Lord, I give it to you. Lord, this is my offering to you. I give you all the, all the talents you've given me, all the wisdom you've given me, all the preparation you've given me. I give that back to you today. And that would be my hope, that we never quite step into our workplace again in the same way. Um, and really, as, as you see there, uh, it's based on two scriptures, Romans 12.1. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spir- spiritual act of worship. And then Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do it with all your might as, as for the Lord, not for men. Um, that's really the foundational precepts about how we work. Um, secondly, we would hope that you fulfill the Great Commission at work. And I don't want to oversimplify that. I'm not talking about a purely a proclamation of the gospel where you happen to work, um, there are opportunities, I'm, I'm sure it'll vary for each of us. There are many opportunities to proclaim the gospel at work. What I'm talking about here is really laying the foundation that lets non-believers see, and even, even perhaps believers who are not as mature, see what God can do in the life of a, of a, a man or a woman. In other words, work that is passionate, uh, work that is laced with humility when you make a mistake, you're you're transparent about it. You're willing to to uh, to come forth with your weaknesses. Uh, work that exalts things, exalts God, exalts perhaps the the people who've contributed to your project or whatever you're working on. But that in itself lays a foundation for a proclamation of the gospel that people would look. You know what Jesse Sanchez does, what Sean Worley does, and uh and they would know that there is something different about this cat. Okay, this is not a uh, uh, you know, this is not a a typical person. There is something different that makes this person tick, and really, that is that is the basis from which when when Peter says, you know, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. That that's what they're talking about—a life that people can visibly ch- see that has changed. And you know, oh, you may not get to proclaim the gospel every day at work. You can do that. You can display a life of that quality every day at work. Um, why are we doing this teaching? Uh, one is. As we, uh, as we started to ramp up to do this class, I did a little time analysis, and there's 168 hours in a week. And if you calculate, a typical person sleeps between 7 and 8 hours a night. And some of you, I'm sure, sleep a lot less than that, like David Behar. But uh, roughly, you're going to spend, and depending on what, what specific job you have, you're going to spend 40 to 50% of your time every week uh, in a work-related activity, either at work or driving to work, et cetera. So that's significant. You know, most of us are not called to vocational ministry. Most of us are called, you know, to be in the world. And vocational ministers are in the world as well. But we are called to be in the world on a minute-by-minute, day-by-day basis. And as a matter of fact, 40 to 50% of your time will be spent there. So it it is good that we examine what God has to say about this time that we spent there. Two, whatever work, whatever calling God has given you at this present time in your life, has eternal value it has eternal value for you as an individual as a uh, member of of god's kingdom Um, and again we we talked about earlier as a means for filling the great commission laying the foundation that perhaps others will build on when you bear the the name of christ they know you're a christian perhaps you won't be the one to proclaim the gospel to a a certain person but someone else later may get an opportunity because of your hard work and the foundation you've laid Uh, and also as a means of sanctification. Anybody who's been in the workplace more than a week knows that you will have tremendous opportunities to humble yourself, repent, ask forgiveness, um, exercise self-control, and in, in, uh, not responding in, in kind to uh, some of the things that go on at work. And uh, it is a cauldron, and it is a God-ordained cauldron. You know, he, uh, he will use it both to further his kingdom in, in, in the respects of bringing new people into it, and to sanctify those already in the kingdom by sharpening us, um, <laughs> and it's also has eternal value for the church. Uh, first, as we spoke about, it's it's the place where the church engages the world primarily. And there, it happens with neighbors, it happens with friends, it happens at sporting events. You know, if you happen to be a softball player or, or do some other activity for ladies, it happens in, in you know, coffee groups or, or neighborhood play groups or whatever. But for many of us, if not most of us, it's going to happen at work. This is, this is where the church, where light meets darkness, you know, where, where the city of the hill is on display. It is, these are the prime hours of the day, and that's where, you, that's where you are. So it is the place where the church engages the world. Um, finally, uh, weekend when when we are in the workplace many of us are are typically, and I'll I'll use this term loosely, outnumbered. Obviously, we're never outnumbered. We're more than conquerors. But typically, it's a place where you can pick up some bad theology, you know, not even thinking about it. Some of the things you hear going on in the office, well, that's the way you got to account for it. That's that's the way we account for it. That's just the way it is, you know. There's going to be some loss. Put 10% fudge factor or hey, you know, just claim your eight hours. Claim your eight hours, man. Okay, you know, it's it's just the way it's done. Or, you know, um, if you want to if you want to work in this company, you got to be here until eight o'clock at night. You know that's our culture. That's our corporate culture. You know you come in at six, you leave at eight. You know that's just our corporate culture. Uh, so it can be a place where you can pick up some non-biblical theology. So and if if you're bombarded constantly, exposed to it, um, so um, we can be we can be tempted to think of work as, as things that is not. We can tempt, start to think that work is our security. Uh, we have enough inclination to do that on our own. That hey if I Perhaps you, uh, the economy has gone in the tank, as it, as it has, but yeah. perhaps, we're, uh, <laughs> perhaps as our company starts, to, you know, the company you work for starts to suffer, um, perhaps there's some anxiety there. You know, maybe you're watching people get laid off, or maybe the boss has made some comments. Is there anxiety there? Can, can we trust that this is not the means of our security, that God is our security? If he chooses for us to be unemployed, can we, can we trust him for that? Um, is it the source of our identity or, or meaning? I spent twenty-three years in the Army um, I retired last February. I got you know, Shaleen took me to a men's warehouse and got me this suit and a couple other suits and uh, first day back working at South Carolina, Now I'm a consultant, I'm not an army officer anymore. So I come in, you know, first day back, I'm in my suit, you know, shaking hands, everybody knows me, most people know me, but you know, they, uh, they say, hey, we need you to go to a meeting. So I go to a meeting Now, up up until this point, you know, I've I've been, I would consider myself a mature Christian. Uh, I would say, you know, I've been doing, you know, I've been reading my Bible for a few years. I know, I know these things about identity, you know. So I I would have always described myself as a a, uh, soldier or a Christian who happens to be a soldier. That's what I would have said. If you say, who are you? I would say, I'm a Christian who happens to be a soldier. Uh, Intellectually, that's what I would have said. So I go to this meeting and I sit down you know, and we were there about an hour, and we're kicking issues around, you know, and big questions, you know, and and this Marine Corps major is sitting across the table from me, and he looks at me, he says, hey, Raphael, what do you think about that, and, uh, and I nearly reached across the table, <laughs> I said, I don't think majors call lieutenant colonels by their first name, but <laughs> 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 I didn't, I didn't do that, but, uh, but in my heart, I did that, in my heart, I did that, and, um, so clearly, perhaps I had some identity issues there, there were <laughs> that I, I, was, I was not as sound theologically as I thought I was. But uh, it's also a place where you can be tempted to think that God doesn't exercise his sovereignty. You know, we, uh, I don't know how many times we hear the term secular job or he, this is a secular activity. This is, this is something separate. Uh, you know, God, God's not concerned about movie companies. You know, he's not concerned about carpentry. You know, why would God be concerned about carpentry? God God wants to change lives. He wants to conquer hearts. Why would he be concerned about carpentry? You know, so we can be tempted to think that, uh, that God doesn't have a role in these activities you know, in, in much of the, you know, I'll use the term secular, the secular work that we do. And finally, we can be tempted to think of work as a curse or a burden. And again, going using a Southcom illustration, we uh, typically you come in on a Monday, and uh, you know you walking down the hall, and I'm very often, you know, I'll I'll, um, I'll walk past somebody, I'll say, "Hey, how you doing, Bill?" And he'll say, "Well, it's Monday," you know, and uh, the implied message is, you know, I would rather it were Sunday or I'd rather it were Friday, so I didn't have to be here at work. You uh, obviously that's. It's a bad theological view of work. And we can pick we can pick that up. You know, we can as we go to work, we can start to think, oh man, I don't want to go to work. And part of that's our flesh. You know, we're our flesh is lazy, doesn't want to exert itself. But part of it is a misunderstanding as to wor- what work is. Work is, you know, originally intended as a great blessing to mankind. So that those are some of the reasons for the uh, for the class. Um, a couple of things. Um First, let me, let me give you a synopsis of the four lessons we're going to do. Today we're going to talk about God's work. Uh, we're made in the image of God. Before we can start to talk about how we should work, we really need to understand how God works um, in, in, in biblical terms, how God works. second lesson, uh, next Thursday we'll do our work, uh, what is the essence of, of human work, and uh, how should we approach it. Uh, the third lesson, the third and fourth lessons we're going to get, a little more practical. And we're going to talk about, uh, and I know, I know, you know, from being a home group leader, I know that many, this is an issue that, you know, there's at least a quarter of the home group in some type of flux, examining a new opportunity, or perhaps uh, they're thinking about going back to school for additional training and education. So it's it's an issue that, that impacts the church. You know, what should I do? How should I decide my next step? So we don't have concrete answers, but we hope to give you at least a biblical framework to, to examine those kind of things. Um, and finally, work in the church. Lest we be tempted to think that work is an individual activity, that, you know, because Tim Kelso goes to work, and he's the only guy from Palm Vista who happens to be in that office, or Sean Worley goes to Kaplan, and he's the only guy from Palm Vista who's there, uh, that is really not the case. You, you don't, uh, the church goes to work. You know, it's, it's the church that goes to work, and we're going to examine that a little bit in the fourth lesson um I want to say a couple of things nothing that we're teaching here is really new as you guys have probably surmised already it's really the application of a cross centered life in 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 a in a sphere that perhaps we don't think about it or we may not have thought about it for a while um, I am sure that a lot of what I'm going to say to you guys is, is being practiced already um uh, Perhaps here we just examine the biblical foundation for it, and if you leave with that, then, then that's a good thing. Uh, but if not, if there is room for adjustment, then let's make adjustments where needed. I think, I think we, you know, we are, we are frail and we tend to drift, so this, this hopefully will uh, correct course. Um, the second thing is the uh, reformers. Um, Martin Luther, from Martin Luther on and others of, of uh, his era, wrote extensively about vocation. Really, when, when you look at the Puritans, uh, some of Calvin's work, uh, very, very rich in this concept. Uh, there have been books written thinking that the West, uh, England, uh, Germany, some of the industrialized countries of the West that have that have prospered, the U.S., um, have prospered, in fact, because of this doctrine. Obviously, we know it's God's sovereignty, but, but they think the application of this doctrine has had a huge effect. If you were to overlay... Um, reformed doctrine on the world, and you were to match that with prosperity, uh, there's, there are certain scholars who believe there's, there's a correlation. It's not a perfect correlation, but there is a correlation. So, so it is not a new doctrine. It's, it's been around, at least since the reformers, I probably the church prior to that probably wrote on it as well. But uh, most of the evidence I found was that the reformers have written extensively on it. Uh, I want to just say a brief word about work versus vocation. We're going to use the terms interchangeably for the most part. Our intent here is to, is to talk about your work, okay, what you guys do, and using the term loosely from 9 to 5 or from 8 to 5. But really, vocation is, is uh, broader than that. You can have a vocation as a, uh, you know, uh, as a physical fitness expert, and you can also have a vocation as, as a wife. You can have a vocation as a, as a daughter, Uh, these are all vocation really is the root word of it is from called. God has called you to a specific sphere um, to serve him in that specific sphere. So it can be as a husband. It can be as a, as a, as a son. It can be as a father. uh, It can be definitely be as a worker. We're just focused here, obviously on, on our work, what we do between, and and again, I know many of you work off shift, but what we do between uh, nine to five. So we're using the terms interchangeably, but vocation, understand, in pure sense, is really anything God a task God has called you to. Um, and uh, ground rules, guys, feel free to you know this is not a, a a sermon. You know, I'm not a preacher. I'm I'm not even a teacher. So yeah. so uh, let's have a dialogue. You know, if you got questions, uh, if if we say something here that sounds a little a little flawed to you, let's let's kick it around a little bit. Okay, let's. Uh, this is a dialogue. If you know, if, if you think we've overreached with a particular scripture that, hey, you know, I'm, I don't see that there. I think, you know, your uh, hermeneutics may be a little weak then bring it up. OK, let's let's kick it around. OK. Um, all right. Mr. Worley. <laughs> I can make that available. If it's all right with Corey.
2: But <laughs>
1: all right. Um okay. I have here some notes for you guys to take uh Can't get up from your chair unless you raise your hand. <laughs> I'm teaching you three year olds, too. That's... All right. Uh, okay. Uh, lesson one God's work. Um, and the propositional statement for this, uh, for this lesson is God's work begins and ends with the gospel. God's work begins and ends with the gospel. We have taken a, uh, a quotation there from a, a great book. Not focused on vocation, but I thought it was appropriate given the name of the book in, in, uh, in, in this particular paragraph uh, by John Enzor, who many of you know from, uh, from the work he's done here in Miami with um, Heartbeat of Miami. But um, uh, it's called The Great Work of the Gospel. And he, he cites Jeremiah. God has boldly promised to do a great work of grace. We read in Jeremiah 31, verses 13, 33, and 34. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. But this is the covenant that I will make, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That is the redemption in, in, a, uh, in an Old Testament context that is the great work of the gospel with respect to mankind. However, God is also redeeming the central piece of his creation, obviously mankind, but he is also redeeming the remainder of his creation. And we see from Romans chapter 8, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. So we have the redemption of mankind and also the redemption of his creation. And that is the great work. If we were to summarize what God's work is about, this is God's work. Um... The mechanism, obviously, by which God accomplishes that is the death of his son on the cross and his resurrection. Um, And we've taken uh, this verse from Revelation because it speaks not only of redemption but also renewal. And he, and the reference there is to Christ, and he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So he is redeeming and he is making all things new. He will make mankind new. As we know, um, and He will also make His creation, the creation in which we we work and live. He will make that new as well. Um, we're going to cover four main points in the, in this lesson. The first is that God assigns import and significance to work. God assigns import and significance to work. The second, and and they're the uh, they happen to be the bullets that are highlighted in bold for you. The second is that God's work includes. Uh, correction, that God's work reflects his excellence and perfection and that his work serves gospel purposes by revealing his person to men. The third is that God's work includes creating and providentially sustaining the stage on which redemptive history plays out. And the final point, God graciously enlists man in this work. And that that particular point will lay a foundation for our our, uh, our discussions for next week. Okay, let's begin with uh, God Assigns Import and Significance to Work. Um, As we got ready for this, obviously one of the first resources we went to was a uh, concordance, you know, flipped open the, I only have an NIV and an NASB concordance, so I flipped open the NASB concordance and there's about two and a half pages on the word work, works, workmen, working, workers, workers, just Anything you can know about words. It's about two and a half pages, and, of course, it's written, like, in size six font. So, <laughs> so it was ex- my point is simply that this is a, a prevalent theme in Scripture. The word work, uh, God has used in, in specific ways in, in, his, in his word, and he has used it to communicate things that we typically don't associate it with. You know, for example, the great work of the gospel. Uh, so work carries a certain connotation for us. Just in that very, in that very phrase, the great work of the gospel. We say the work of the Holy Spirit. That particular phrase is not in Scripture, the work of the Holy Spirit. But my point is it carries a connotation to us. When we hear that, we think of sobriety. We think of importance. We think that this, this is, carries weight because it is work. Um, and that's been assigned by God. That's something God has put in our hearts to recognize this. Um, we speak of Christ's work on the cross. You know, again, that's not, that's not a term you'll find in Scripture but we all understand what that means. If you're an evangelical, you know what that means, Christ's work on the cross. You know, uh, very interesting that we happen to choose that word to describe that particular event. And we choose that word because God has assigned great weight to the word work. The concept of work, he has has put great weight on by its repetition and its use in Scripture. Um, The second thing that that, uh, has led us to believe that work carries such weight is, When God created us and he gives us the mandate in Genesis 128 to subdue the, to exercise dominion over the earth and subdue it, that imprint uh, that he put in our hearts to work, to labor, to, uh, in his image, to create, to, to be industrious is so strong that after the fall, he must continually remind us that we can find no pleasure in his eyes through work. Now. That's that's telling. Think about that for a minute. That's telling. When God has to remind us that your work won't save you, your work won't save you, it's something that's somehow in our genetic code that we think that this is so important and bears such weight that if I do it well enough, I can stand before God and show him, and he will be pleased. Now, obviously, we know we've been taught well. We know that that's wrong. We know that's, that's theologically wrong. But my point is... Uh, when, they, uh, when, when the deceiver de- deceives, he usually does it with a clever distortion of the truth. So certainly work carries such weight and import for us as human beings because God put it there, okay? And it's as a result of the fall that it... Uh, we can't offer it to him as a sacrifice as we would have before the fall because now what, what we need now is a Savior, and we can only obtain the Savior through faith. But so, but my point is, think about that. Think about something that God would have to remind us that don't rely on that. Don't rely on that. Don't rely on your work. You can't rely on your work. Uh, something that would uh, deceive us into that. that. That has to be something that carries great import and great weight. Um, finally... God refers to himself throughout scripture as a worker and uh I had the opportunity to do a teaching uh, uh about a year ago I think on on uh, on the Trinity and it's it served me so well to have better understood the concept of the Trinity not that I understand it I mean it's it's one of those things that uh, again you you're like on the wave you know and there's there's a 1000 foot crevasse underneath you but uh but God's work there are references like I said, two and a half pages in in a in a concordance, but there's references to each member of the Trinity being a worker. And I just pulled uh, I just pulled three out of here. There's a, a lot more on your notes, but uh, uh Eddie, can you read the one for the father? Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe I told you. And that's old testament, obviously, Habakkuk one five. Um let me get a can you read for, for Christ? I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. From John 17, 4. Very interesting. We'll discuss the scripture later how Christ says he has accomplished this work. And obviously this is before the cross. This is his high priestly prayer in John 17. He's not yet gone to the cross, and yet he says he's accomplished this work. We'll look at that a little bit later. But Clearly, he has accomplished this work. Uh, and then finally... For the Holy Spirit, uh, Ressi, can you can you uh, read that for us? So obviously the work of the Holy Spirit as well, and and there are repeated. I just pulled a few out. Obviously, they're the repeated references to to God referring to Himself in Scripture as a worker or working or or has done this work. Obviously, that's that's something we can take and say. If God is using this term and applying it to Himself, obviously this is something that uh, that, uh, that carries great weight. So, just uh, to set the stage, let's say that we we can we can safely take those that evidence and and there's plenty more and say this is this is a topic that God has, has placed great weight on. This is something that He's uh, He's hung great value on. Okay, and that's that's simply what we want to open up with. Uh, next, we want to look at the character of God's work, and again this we're just on the, uh, on the wave tops here. We could, we could take this very, very deeply. Um, God's work obviously reflects his person. You know, God is incapable of doing something again. You know, he's, he's perfect integrity, which means that what he does is who he is. Um, so what, uh, what, what Daniel and I have constructed here is a little chart that shows what scripture has to say about God's work. Um, uh, what characteristic that reveals, and it's not exhaustive. You know, we could have we could have put a hundred things down. It's truthful. It's uh, you know just a thousand things we could have put about characteristics of God's work, um, and then what effect that specific work has on man. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, just ask folks to pick a scripture and read it, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about each one and, and work our way down the table. We'll start at the top. So, can someone take Jeremiah five twenty to twenty four, and someone else take Romans one nineteen and twenty? I'm doing this, guys. I want you to get a, you know, one thing is for me to come up here and tell you, hey, this is what I, I read the scriptures, and these these are my conclusions. But my hope here is at least make you wrestle a little bit with the scripture, interact with it, and, uh, and you know, hopefully that will be a little more meaty for you to take away from the class. Uh, the lady in the green shirt, can you take uh, Jeremiah 5, 20 to 24? Thank you. Um, Nando, can you take Romans 1 19 and 20? What can be known about God is plain to them, because
0: God has shown it has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even in the creation of the world, and the things that
1: have been made, for they are without excuse. Excellent. In both scriptures, the commonality, obviously, I just want to expound a little bit on it. Um, I think they're pretty self-explanatory. But in both scriptures, God uses references. Uh, in, well, in Romans, Paul does. In, in Jeremiah, God is speaking. But they're both references to being being able to observe God's work, creative work, the sands. Uh, in Jeremiah, it speaks of um, give the rains as well in, in verse 24. So they should be able to observe these natural wonders, the things of of created order, and the conclusion, the natural conclusion that a human being, an unredeemed human being should come up with is that there is a God, and and I need to fear him, the Jeremiah reference specifically. Based on what I see around me, based on the fact that he keeps the ocean at 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 the seashore, based on the fact that he sends rains at the appropriate time, that should lead me to a conclusion, and that conclusion should inspire in my heart fear. And if it doesn't, then I stand judged. And uh, so the characteristic is clearly seen, and the effect on men is it judges us. So God's work can judge us, okay? Second, let's take, uh, if we could get uh, the elderly Cuban gentleman to... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Psalms 8, 3, and 4, please. Gracias, Papa. And, uh, Hugh, if you could do uh, Acts 17, 26 to 28. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there a problem back there, Hugh? No, it's not Acts is right after John. Okay. Again, the characteristic of God's words is expansive. He's He's determined the time and place and the boundaries of nations, the time and place when human beings will live. He determined, you know, before we can even fathom. He determined that Marcos Gonzalez would be here tonight doing this. Okay. That that degree of sovereignty over the, over the affairs of man over the affairs of his creation, and then the the reference from Psalm eight. Um, again, David looks at at this. And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, and even even the unredeemed there in the, in the latter portion of a, of Acts say we are his offspring. Obviously, a, a connotation of subordination, uh, putting yourself under God. David's comment, what is man that you are mindful of him? So clearly, God's work can humble us. As we observe the expansive nature of God's work, we should be properly humbled, as, as David is. Um, okay, let's go to... Uh, an, Let's go to John David Behar, can you take John seventeen four and nineteen thirty, please? 1930. therefore when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit okay again, this time the reference the first reference in john seventeen four obviously is before the crucifixion, but his reference is he has communicated the gospel and if you read a few verses later, his reference is i've i've communicated your word, and they have believed they have believed your word, so Really, he's talking about the disciples and the fact that uh, by accepting uh, Christ's life and his testimony about who he was, uh, they are saved. much as Abraham is saved by faith, they are saved by faith. Even though we're talking about a time before the crucifixion, they have what we would call saving faith. Uh, So he has completed the work of communicating the gospel, of living a life that gave him the right to go to the cross and of three years communicating the gospel. To the disciples, who would later be the church fathers, uh, and the the second reference, nineteen thirty, is now this is on the cross, and it is finished. Now, I think the reference there is, I have accepted, the, you know, I have borne the wrath of God. Now He is. We're talking about a different finished, not the communication of the gospel, but bearing the wrath of God. He is, he's, he's come to the place where man is now reconciled. So, refer- two separate works, obviously interrelated, but in both cases, what this functionally this work does is it saves us you know without without this specific work we couldn't be here tonight so um and the characteristic obviously is sacrificial in the first case gave up deity to become flesh and come dwell among us uh in the second case bore the wrath of god hung on a cross for our sake so um i don't think i can do it more justice than uh the scripture does gentlemen and ladies um can I ask, uh, Lenny, can you take Philippians 1-6, please? And Tim, can you take
3: uh, Titus two eleven through 14, please? I just wanted to add something in the sacrificial that came to mind. I was reading First Chronicles yesterday. And while you all look those up, First Chronicles 21-24, uh, uh, this is basically David just numbered the people. He created a great sin. The Lord gave him choices on what, what he was going to get as the result of this. He chose, Lord, do what you will with me. You know, basically three days of pestilence. 70,000 Jews were killed within those three days. And then there was an angel of the Lord who stood with his sword over Jerusalem. about to, And the Lord said, stay your hand. David observed this sword over the top of Jerusalem, this judgment of God about to come. And, you know, it fell on his face before the Lord. And he said, go and and basically build an altar in this guy's house So it goes to this guy's house in this verse Again, First Chronicles 21 uh, 24 It says, because Ornan basically says Take it for yourself, take anything you want here I've got the, the stuff to do the burnt offering I've got the green offering, and David says King David says to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it For the full price For I will not take what is yours for the Lord Or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing So it's just There's, a, there's an example, there's a connection there God sacrificial man after God's own heart recognizes the nature and the need for sacrifice. It's got to cost you something. Is is basically what David's saying here. I, I just I won't take something or what's the real offering that I'm giving to the Lord here. So anyway, I thought that it fits with that sacrificial. Thank you, Daniel.
1: Lenny, did you have Philippians? Go ahead. Tim Titus 2 11 and 14 Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lenny. Characteristic, obviously, faithful. Um, and in the effect of that on us will be that we will be purified. We've been we've been redeemed, we've been saved. We will be purified. And finally, um, if I could have a Corey, can you take a Revelation and take Revelation four eleven and just go right on through to it's it's all one continuous passage. Revelation four eleven to five one five or to five five. 4, 4.11 is the last verse in chapter 4, and pick up uh, chapter 5, the first five verses of chapter 5. Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive
0: glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him, who was on the throne, a scroll written within, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice,
1: it's interesting that those verses in Revelation four eleven says God is wor- or Christ is worthy because of creation. The, the reference in four eleven is you're worthy because you have created what you have created. So the physical, just the act of the physical creation of the world, the creation of man, renders him worthy of, of uh, worthy. Renders him, renders him worthy biblically. The other one, the reference is who who can who can break the seal? Only only the perfect, the Lamb who is without spot. So it's the references to Obviously, Christ's perfect life and his death on the cross. So we see the physical component. The cr- you're worthy just because you created, and you're worthy, obviously, because you've redeemed mankind. Two, two slightly different focuses, but uh, both worthy. Just based on that, e- either one would be worthy, but both come together. It's, it's a package deal. We shouldn't try to segregate, and, uh, but both are worthy. And the effect... Uh, later on, we read. I, I didn't take it far enough in Revelation, but we we read that it, it leads to worship. It leads to man's inability to stay silent. They have to worship him. They have to declare him worthy. They have to speak out. Uh, and the same, the same. If you look up the those Psalm references I have up there, it's the same response. We we can't stay silent. What I want to point out about this is we uh, Daniel and I ordered this. If you, if you haven't picked up on this already, if you look at if you look at the middle column effect on men this is really a Christian life we begin judged we're humbled by again by God's grace John 6:44 he draws us to him we're saved we're purified and there's not a clean line between all of these obviously you know as we're being purified we can begin to worship him but but generally the the uh, progression here takes us from unregenerate men to where the way we're going to spend the eternity so very interesting that God's work is sufficient for every step of the way. Every step of the way that we need to redeem mankind is sufficient. Um, okay. all right. um, Let's move on now to the, uh, the third highlighted bullet. God's work includes creating and providentially sustaining the stage on which redemptive history played out. We just finished looking at God's the effect of god 's work on man, and we're going we 're going to start using some terms here loosely, but uh, we 're going to do it for the sake for the sake of uh bringing home some teaching points about this class okay um, we can say if we look back at the chart, we can say that this is a spiritual endeavor, okay the changing of a human being from from his sinner in rebellion against God to the point where he is now on his face, worshiping God, that's a spiritual endeavor. That's the changing of a heart. Um, God uses man in that endeavor, but it's clearly a work of, of God, the Holy Spirit. Um, and most of us would say that's, that's a spiritual thing. You know, that's, a, that's pretty clear spiritual. Um, what I want to bring forth here is that God's work is both spiritual and it's earthy okay it's uh it's physical there is a physical component to what God does in everything he does uh, he does, and I don't believe that he would uh it, it, i don't think it's accurate biblically portrayed to segregate uh, spiritual from earthy. I think god is the as, uh, as Daniel would say, he's the perfect engineer he uh He integrates things so seamlessly that uh the spiritual and the and the physical, the earthy are together. In, in a way that we we can't we, we make distinctions because you know our brains are small and we need to classify things and just to make some some order out of things, but he doesn 't need to, you know his his brain is infinite, so uh, he doesn 't need to break things up but for the, for our sake you know one uh, one of the things we talked about in the introduction was we don 't want to look at things and call them a secular activity so that 's why i 'm making this distinction here now in um, the basic message we're trying to communicate with this point is that God's work includes a physical, earthy component. Okay, it includes a physical, earthy component. To call it less than that, if you really take it to the, if you if you walk the dog all the way to the end of the line, to say that God's work is is purely spiritual, uh, one is, you know, it's it's not, it's nothing new. You know, in, in part, that's what the Nostics said in the in the first century. But um, did I did I pronounce that right, Corey? Close enough. <laughs> all right. Sir, <laughs> thank you. Have him removed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, okay. who um, the uh, but it really what, what you really come down to is you denigrate the full humanity of Christ. I mean, Christ was fully, fully God, fully man, and you see, there in one human being, the perfect integration of the spiritual and the physical. God is spirit. Christ, obviously, is is the 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 portion of the Trinity uh, that is that is human, fully human, flesh and bone, uh, came, dwelt among us, uh, and obviously, He's also fully God. Um, so, and again, this is a mystery to us. You know, we can we can say the words whether how much we understand that. Again, we're at the wave stops, you know, and, and we're talking about a, a very very deep ocean. But um, but the point is to deny that God's work has an earthy component, a physical component to it, and some we would even maybe call it mundane. Um, you know, God works in in very common ways. You know, God heals. Daniel gets sick. God heals him. How did how did God heal him? Well, he went to the clinic. They gave him some penicillin or they gave him some medicine, he feels better. We would say science, you know. The truth is God healed him. God used human agency. Um, God used technological advances that have been happening, which he's been orchestrating for thousands of years. But God healed him. He, it wasn't a, you know, we would not call it miraculous, you know. But it is, mir- it is miraculous. We just, we don't look at it the right way. But um, my point is that he works in the earthy. He works in the physical. He works in ways that perhaps we can't explain. But, but it's God's work nonetheless, and it's, it's, uh, you cannot think of a sinless life. Why did he have to have a three-year ministry to expound the gospel? You know, why did he have to hang on a cross? Why don't we just chalk talk it? Hey, you know, this will happen, that will happen, and we'll high five, we're done. But, no, it, it had to happen. It, ha- it had to physically happen. It had to physically occur, you know. Um, and that's, you know, as, as we got ready for this, I thought, well, why, why? Well, I think it's one of these questions, because God said so. God said this, w- this is the way it would be. It would have a clearly spiritual manifestations and clearly physical. That's, that's the way he created. That's the way he chose to create. There is no plan B because God did it. It is, it is the only way it could have been done. But that's the way it is. Um, and I bring that up because those of us who are in physical vocations, carpenters, um, electricians, salesmen, you know, vocations where you, you deal in a product, you know, you build something, you make something work, you sell something. Uh, we can be tempted, we can be tempted to think that perhaps this isn't valuable to God, you know, this is not valuable to God. This is perhaps uh, God is not too concerned with this particular thing I'm doing. Yeah, I know it, you know, I can I can share the gospel with a co-worker and that advances the, the kingdom, but the truth is, you know, and, and we we can run this puppy, we can run this dog all the way down the line. But you know, uh, uh, Tim, let's say Tim built a uh, a box, and you know he sold the box, and the box gets put on a ship, and it goes to uh, it goes to Ecuador, and a lady in Ecuador buys the box, and she keeps uh, medicine in it, and otherwise the medicine would be spoiled, and a, a child's life is saved. Because the medicine is in the box. And let's say uh Marcos sold in the medicine, you know. Uh and that child uh, gets saved. And his children, um you know, so obviously that's one person in the kingdom. His children, one of them is a pastor, you know. So if that child had died, the kid wouldn't be a pastor. Pastor preaches the gospel and has a small church in Ecuador and and it prospers. Those are the those are the threads that we can't, you know, we're our, our minds are small. Occasionally, we make the link. We see the direct link. Oh, this happened, and then that happened. I got it. But typically, God's, the scope of his work is so vast that we can't trace it very far. We can't go from generation to generation and trace things. We can't trace what's happening in China to what's happening in California. You know, we, lo- we lose the thread pretty quickly. But really, every, everything that we are doing on a daily basis in our vocations, God is using. And, and really, the, the classic scripture is Romans eight twenty eight and 29. All things work together. We typically use that when things don't go our way, okay? That scripture we use, hey, I got fired. All things work together. for the And that's true. That's, it is appropriate to use that scripture then. But it's also appropriate to say all things, all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, there are people who are called who are not saved yet, okay? There are people who are called who are not saved yet. You know, they've been predestined. Um, They have not yet, you know, either they haven't been regenerated or they haven't come to a saving faith. But all things are working for that person. All things are working for that person to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Uh, So that's my point is that, you know, the little the little things you're doing, the earthy things you're doing, the things that appear mundane, those things have gospel consequences. You know, and, and it's it's by God's design. It's the way he designed this. It's the way he designed his creation. It's the way he wanted it to function. So do not devalue what you do. When w- again, when you open the door to go to work next time, there are gospel implications in every box you're gonna build, every every ream of paper you sell. Are you still working for an office supply? What are you selling now, man? I can't I can't trace that one, but <laughs> but uh <laughs> I guarantee you. I guarantee you, there are gospel implications. I guarantee you. Well, not only tithing, but you know they are they're building things. They're you know they're using things that preserve life, that serve mankind. We'll talk about that in the next lesson. That will lead at some point to the ability. You know, that, when Al Alpino made a comment a few weeks ago, he never wanted to take for granted the fact that. For him to preach, a lot of things had to happen. You know, he talked about the sound team coming in and setting up, you know, the the setup team doing their job, people in child care taking care of the kids. He's right, okay? But he he wasn't even on the tip of the iceberg. Somebody had to build a road he drove on. Some school teacher taught him how to read, you know. Uh, some baker, some farmer in Iowa made the bread that Alpino ate while he was growing up. The point is, because of those activities, the gospel is getting propagated today. Not that you can only share the gospel from a pulpit, but because of those activities, you know, what if Alpino had died because the doctor was incompetent? You know, I mean, that's obviously God's design, but are there not gospel implications to the practice of medicine? Are there not? So, if you preserve a life, that's X number of years that person has additional years he has to hear the gospel, you know, so and and we can say the, the same about so many of our vocations. I mean, you can you can make that link. And if even if you can't, we can do it by faith. All things work together. We can simply on that scripture. If you don't see how your work impacts the kingdom of God, just take that scripture to work. Put it on your you know your computer or your desk or whatever, and, and move from there. Okay. All things. Hey, Lord, I don't see what I'm
2: doing. What is this do?
1: You don't have to understand it, you know. But it's true. It's true, okay? Um, okay. I probably spent a little more time there than I wanted, but it's important. Pointing um, about um, God's work of creation. Um, again, what we want to stress here is God's complete sovereignty over everything that's going on in this world. Everything that's going on in this world is under God's sovereignty. And I know we're a well-taught t- church. That should not come as a surprise to anyone. But uh, the, uh, in this, this scripture from John, uh, first chapter of John, he, the reference being to Jesus, and actually was the word. In the beginning was the word. But he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Who made this bottle cap? God made the bottle cap. God made the bottle cap. He obviously used human agency. He called someone to be a bottle cap maker. They may not recognize it. Maybe the person's lost. They don't know they're called to do this. But they have God has solemnly ordained that this is what you're going to do for, for a period of time. You're going to make bottle caps. Okay. So everything that has been made, if we're if we're going to be serious about Scripture, that's what Scripture says. Nothing has been made. Nothing has been made that was not made through Christ. Okay. Um, second. God's sustaining work. Okay, he creates. So now something is made. So perhaps we can be tempted to think, well, God puts it on autopilot. Okay? He created it. He said, okay, you're going to run for 100 years, and you're going to break down. Uh, But that's not the way it is. I mean, that's not the way Scripture depicts it. And probably there's several references to this, but probably the best one is Hebrews one three. And sustaining, again, you'll see here, Grudem um, does some exposition on this particular verse he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Greek word translated upholding is ferro, carry bear. It does not mean simply sustain, but it has the sense of active, purposeful control over the thing being carried. The use of the present participle indicates that Jesus is continually carrying all things in the universe by his word of power. Christ is actively involved in the work of providence. So again... Uh, why does this, cop, this cup not disintegrate? I mean, why am I able to hold this cup up? Somebody made it, obviously human agency, but because Christ is holding it together. Now, he's created all things, and he's holding all things together. Would you say that would apply to your sphere of work? Whatever you do. Would you, would it be, did he make the tools that Tim Kelso uses? Lenny, what are you doing now? Uh, network engineer. Network engineer. Did he make the software programs that that Lenny uses? You know, did he uh, did he make those computers? Again, he used human agency, but the very molecules that are holding that plastic together are being held together by Christ, and that's that's a minute by minute, second by second decision on his part, his his grace, really, his common grace, that he doesn't just say, poof. What would happen if he said poof? Really, I mean, what? I don't. I'm not a physicist, and I don't think a physicist could tell you anyway, but. You know, things would get shaken up in a hurry if he decided to take, you know, a five minute break. So literally no guys, you know, we laugh because we, we're not used to thinking about these things. But that's that's literal. I mean we would be in terror. We would be in sheer terror if if Christ took a five I mean, we would probably be dead if Christ took a five minute break, but but maybe we would have a split second of terror right before we died. But uh yeah. Uh, anyhow. Uh and what we, we talked about, it, the preservation, again, he assigns, you know, he made a rock. And When he created the world, he made a rock. It's still a rock today. It preserves, that's the preservation. He he designed it to be a rock. You're going to be a rock, okay? The thing, the reason it stays a rock is because Christ has preserved it to be so. And also the concurrence of his creation, uh, an expanded term based on that. I took this because, again, it's useful for us to think in these terms, uh, God gave water the property that when you reach 32 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to freeze. That's, that's a God-ordained property that he gave to water. So, again, he didn't put it on autopilot. When he needs, when God needs an ice cube, you know, he will, he will work through that water Said, I gave you this property. It's, it's almost like a gifting, you know. When he needs the gospel preached, he puts Corey Smidgen on the pulpit, you know, and he preaches the gospel. I gave you this gifting. Go do it. But, it's, again, it's not inactive. He's not passive. He's actively working through something he's established, okay? Uh, all right. So if we, if we take all this together, what we can, we can surmise for our purposes is there is nothing going on in this world right now. There is nothing you do, you know, that God has chosen you as an agent to do that is not God's work, okay? There is no such thing as a secular activity, nothing, absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, if we could... You know, next point we're going to look at is human agency. But if we could do the math to figure out how much of what God does he does through man, really, I mean, we can't. Again, our, our brains aren't big enough because we can't figure out everything God's doing. But, but it would be very small what actually man is doing. You know, and even what man is doing is, is you know, God gives Lenny the skills, talents, preparation, um, you know, the moral will. All of that has been given to Lenny by God for Lenny to be a um, systems engineer, you know. Lenny did very little other than, you know, some faithfulness. Uh, And that, again, was given by God, by God's grace. So really our piece of the pie is very small. If if we could quantify it, it would be very, very, very small. Um, But really what you – the picture you get is that anything you happen to do, wherever God has stuck you for this season of your life, whatever you happen to be doing – uh, it's very purposeful. You know, it wasn't an accident. Uh, and he is in control of it. He's in complete control of it. He cares about sweeping. He cares about the most mundane task. You would think, why would God care about this? I don't know why he would care, but it's his creation and he cares and he wanted it done. So there you are with a broom in your hand. So that, that's the, uh, the big teaching point to take away from this. All right. We're down to about, uh, eight or 10 minutes. Um, uh, we want to talk about the last point just briefly, and that's God graciously enlists man in his work. And it's gracious he's given us, he's created us for this purpose. You know, he gave us in Genesis 128, part of what he wired into us when he created us is, is the zeal to work, you know. And then we, we fall, we get lazy, we don't want to work, work's a curse, you know. Now it's going to be hard to work. Uh, when we're redeemed, obviously, now he's creating a people who are zealous for good works. But let's look at the stages of that the original, um, the original mandate from God, Genesis 128, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it uh, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the earth of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 128. So th- there's only two things that I found in Genesis that God told us to do. OK, one is this. The other one is don't eat from the tree, you know. Just two things. I mean, that's all he said. So I would think, based on that, one has to do with obedience. Don't touch. The other one has to do with work. You know, that's an original command is work. You know, do this. And by this, Isaiah 43, 7, the end of the work is not the work in itself, obviously. By the work somehow, and I don't know how we would have done that prior to the fall, but by the work, we would image him and we would bring him glory.
3: Uh, So, Daniel. Let me just give you the example of that. Actually, when, it, when Adam named all of the animals, that's a great example of exactly that. So here's a work that God gave him. Name all these animals. And as they passed before Adam in that first, first day of his creation. So if you think we're getting smarter than we used to be, you know, you're probably wrong. Since he named them according to their nature the first day that he existed. But he named them appropriately and God saw that work. So he imaged God to a great extent because he didn't just name them random willy-nilly he named them according to the nature of what he saw in them and there's some neat implications to this We'll, we'll study in further lessons but that's one of the reasons that we draw other people in because there's an inherent part of our humanity that images god in our ability to recognize in others gifting skills things that they may not see in themselves which we saw in that original work in adam but he imaged God in that work. You see what I'm saying? So he was assigned the work, and then we very much imaged God in the way that that was carried out. Excellent point. Thank you, Daniel. Um, okay, that's original work.
1: Uh, our present work, obviously, oh, misspelled our there, but our present work um, after the fall. Uh, after the fall, God God calls men to roles in his great work. And the reference here in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9 is um, is obviously to the maturation of the church. And Paul uh, Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. As the Lord assigned to each. The concept of, okay, he's called. He's called. He's given us specific duties. My duty, I plant. Apollos, you water. But it's really God's work. Again, what we talked about. Man's role is very small. Um, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Interesting concept there. We'll we'll look at that more. But for we are God's fellow workers. And, again, this is by God's grace. This is what he designed us to do, and now he's giving us a chance. Even though we're in a fallen state, he's giving us a chance to do it again, okay? Um, You are God's field, God's building. And the reference here, the context is the church, the maturation of the church. But I think it's safe to say you can apply this uh, to calling in and, and voc- and what we would, you know, and I use the term loosely, secular vocations as well. God has assigned you a place, a thing to do, um, and you are there. Now, uh, Luther, there is an aspect in which nonbelievers are called as well. And, you know, we have scriptural evidence, Nebuchadnezzar, God turns the heart of the king. God uses nonbelievers as well for his work, you know. You may have a boss right now, who's a non-believer, you know, and you say, well, he's not called. Is he called? Well, he's not called to salvation, but he is called to the task of of running the creation. You know, he may not recognize it, but his heart is being turned by God. He may want to, you know, he may want to do certain things, but he's constrained because he wants a paycheck or whatever other mechanisms God has, boundaries God has put around them. He is constrained to behave within certain norms by God's grace, by God's grace. So even non-believers... Even nonbelievers are, in a, in a sense, called, not in the sense that we're called to saving faith and then to be a people zealous for good works, but in the sense that God is using those people. And we see extremes in the Bible. You know, we see God hardens Pharaoh's heart. We see Nebuchadnezzar being used in a certain way. We see the extremes, the kings being, you know, humbled or being used by God. But it works in, for average people as well, Okay. Uh, So he's using both believers, they are called, non-believers in a sense they're called, in the sense that God is using them. And our future work, uh, Grudem makes the point, excellent. If you don't have a copy of Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, I highly recommend you you invest in it. But um, part of the reason Christ had to be fully man was to restore to us the right to someday be able to to reign over the creation again in, in the way God originally intended it. Okay? So our future work will very much entail reigning over the creation? Will still be farmers, carpenters? There'll be some professions we don't need. We won't need policemen, but uh, uh, we may not need lawyers, Hugh. (laughs) But but anyhow, we may need, I mean, they may be teachers or something. Who knows? But uh, anyhow, um, but that's what our future work will be. You know, heaven will entail work uh, and our future work Christ had to be fully man in order to give us that right again, to give us the right to reign over creation again. Um, okay, I think uh, I got. You got fifty five seconds to ask whatever questions you have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any questions? I, we'll probably try to pack less into the next one, so we can we can have a little more dialogue. I'm sorry, I uh, other than Dan's comments, we we really uh. No one else really said much, but we uh, we do, do want to have a dialogue. We'll try to pack less next time so we can exchange some ideas. Lenny. I
2: was just going to say that through college, I, you know, purpose behind what I was studying and everything, I, you know, just always really plagued me. You know, I, I studied chemical engineering and I thought, what's the purpose of this? You know, for for years and as a result i was i had no motivation when i studied you know um and my grades were horrible my re- grades re- reflected of that you know and i never saw the point to it I, I always saw secular work as you said as second class to you know uh to the ministry you know vocational ministry so uh it's it's only been i think in you know recent years last 10 years or so that you know i 've understood you know God could really use me in in secular work as well, you know and not just to preach the gospel to my coworkers you know so um uh this I think this is really good and I, and i I imagine i 'm not alone you know in thinking that so it's it's really good thank you i
1: i uh I skipped over because I was moving so fast, but I had a similar illustration from my own life where i said man i 'm in the army i 'm doing these army things, and you know what I'd rather be, you know, just discipling cadets than doing what I'm doing, you know. But it's a faulty understanding that, you know, God's, God is ruling over his creation. He needs, occasionally he needs people to go fight wars, you know, or to prepare to fight wars, you know. And uh, why, when, and that's, that's his sovereign will. But he needs it, and that's what he had called me to. And, you know, I was really rebelling against it, to be honest. So Anyone else? Okay, let's uh let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this doctrine. Lord, we thank you for your rich, rich word, Lord. Father, uh, I just pray that you would use uh, this time, Lord, to just refocus us, Lord, to have us approach work, Lord, in the way that you would have us approach, Lord. I pray a blessing on these people, Lord. I pray that you would bless my work as well, Lord, and Daniel's. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you've given us this desire to work. We thank you, Lord, that it all has meaning. Lord, we may not be able to figure it out, but we thank you that you are so gracious to us to give us work to do that is meaningful, Lord, that advances your purposes. Even though we may not see them, Lord, we trust that they do. Father, you are gracious and good. In Jesus' name, amen.